This is Don Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 26. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Uh, today we're discussing the first Star Trek Enterprise episode, Broken Bow. Uh, joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So before we get started, folks, I just we got a, a brief message uh, asking for your support uh, for Secrets of Star Trek and the SQPN Network. And I, I want to throw it to, to Jimmy, if you could uh, uh, yeah. address the uh, audience for just a second. So a while back, um, StarQuest had to make a decision. StarQuest, in case you're not aware, is a nonprofit organization. Uh, our goal is to engage the realm of faith and how it intersects with pop culture. We want to bring people closer to God and closer to Jesus. That's actually why our name is StarQuest. It's a reference to the Bethlehem star guiding people to the baby Jesus. So um, that's our mission statement. But at a certain point in our development, you know, we had gotten to where we were operating on kind of low power. We were, pr we were producing one podcast on a regular basis. And we said, we're, we need to grow if we're going to fulfill our mission. And that meant we needed to make a financial commitment by hiring someone. <clears throat> and it ended up being Dom. But by hiring someone to oversee production of a whole line of podcasts, which we're now in the process of rolling out, the revived Secrets of Star Trek is an example of that. This would not be happening. This podcast would not be happening if it wasn't for that decision to uh, expand our line of broadcasting. Other podcasts that uh, also have come online now include the revived Let's Talk and the brand new Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So as a result of making the hiring decision and all of the other costs that go into producing a line of quality podcasts, including computer equipment and software, hosting costs online, things like that, um, we rapidly began to deplete the funds that we had on reserve. And we knew that that would happen, but we also knew that we needed to get the new shows out there for you to listen to, to see the value in them so that we could come to you and ask for your help in keeping it going. So we haven't run a giving campaign in two years. 
And consequently, our funds are at a stage where they really need to be replenished. So this is the time that we need you to show your support for StarQuest and for the podcast that you love. The way to do that is by going to uh, sqpn.com slash give. Once again, it's sqpn.com slash give and become a supporter of ours on Patreon. And as normal with a Patreon campaign, we have a number of thank you gifts we'd like to send you as a reward for your generosity. Uh, depending on the level you support at, there are uh, up to three of them that are even Star Trek themed. One of them is a book that all three of us have. I know uh, I haven't quite finished it yet, but I've really enjoyed what I've read. I know Father Corey and Dom have both read it and really liked it. It's the autobiography of James T. Kirk, and it provides a new and different Kirk-centric perspective on a lot of the different things uh, that happen uh, to him in his career in Starfleet, including, I'm told, a really interesting take on what Star Trek V, The Search for God, was really all about. <laughs> so um, so you want to check that out. Also, we have two volumes of, uh, of an oral history called The 50-Year Mission. Volume one covers the first 25 years, which is from the very beginning birth of Star Trek all the way up to the launch of The Next Generation. And then volume two covers The Next Generation all the way up through the J.J. Abrams movies. And since this is an oral history, that means the creators of it went out and interviewed basically everybody they could. They interviewed Gene Roddenberry. They interviewed other behind-the-scenes people. They interviewed writers and actors from the different series and got their perspectives on the series and how it developed and what went on behind the scenes. And it's very revealing. You learn a lot about TV production, uh, from this and the different needs and limitations that the producers and writers were operating under. Also, uh, you, you get into some kind of, you know, areas where there is some friction between people at times. Some of the writers are a little frank about how they wanted to go in a different direction, but they were operating under some rules that they didn't think served the story. You also have um, some tensions between actors at times. <clears throat> and, Kate Mulgrew and uh, and Jerry Ryan, for example, um, and and so you get a really fascinating behind the scenes look at how the the great Star Trek series were made and how they achieved a, a prominent place in American culture and in our hearts, uh, you know, with all the bumps along the road. So it's a really fascinating pair of reads. We also, if you prefer, we have uh, additional thank you gifts that are themed around either Doctor Who or Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So check those out. Once again, now really is the time we need to hear from you. If we don't, it will have serious consequences for the future of StarQuest. I don't want to mislead you about that. We made this financial commitment to roll out this new line of podcasts that we're in the process of bringing to you. And if we don't have your support, that's going to have to go away. So we do need to hear from you. Please go to sqpn.com slash give. Uh, since this is a podcast, you could pause it and go there right now before you forget. I know if I don't do things when I'm thinking about them, they can fall through the cracks. We don't want that to happen here. We do want to hear from you. Please go to sqpn.com slash give today and show your support for StarQuest and help us build that future for the podcasts you love. 
And uh, you can go to those websites even on your phone. Uh, I've, I've, tra- I've made sure that uh, when we've created mobile those, responsive, yes, that but, we're mobile responsive. But not while while you're not while you're driving. Don't do it while you're driving. Pull to the side of the road right now. Pull to the side and take care of it. All right. <laughs> so that's all we're going to talk about that about that for the rest of this episode. Uh, let's talk about uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, we we previously talked about Star Trek Enterprise in an overview uh, a, a couple months ago at this point uh, mm-hmm. uh, back in October. And uh, so we we talked about the genesis of no no pun intended of uh, enterprise and some of the overarching again no pun intended issues <laughs> related to uh, Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> so but so we're going to kind of concentrate on uh, Broken Bow at this point. So when did it premiere? Uh, if if you're if if you're old enough and you've been around enough, you may have forgotten as I did. This premiered September twenty six two thousand and one. This right. was, in fact, just right. just a couple weeks after nine eleven, and uh, I recall, at, you know, when when nine eleven happened, we were wall to wall news coverage on nearly every channel for yeah, right. over a week. We had no entertainment, and I remember when that ended. Um, how I think the first thing I watched was an episode of The Simpsons or something, and how <laughs> it was kind of a relief to be able to laugh at something. It was such a a, a, a despairing time, and then, you know, just a couple, just a week after that, we had a new Star Trek series, which was, mm-hmm. you know, which was so energizing and so, again, no pun intended, but so so revitalizing at, a, at such a, a sad time. Do you guys remember that? Did you watch it yeah. from that first premiere? It, it was it was um, it was really nice to have an optimistic future again to look forward mm-hmm. to where you didn't have the kind of intense hatreds and intercultural difficulties that we have right now oddly enough and they couldn't have well i think they actually could have planned this but they didn't they didn't know fully how i think it was going to play out but um jeffrey archer as captain really has a George Bush vibe, a, a, a George Bush when he's at his best. Yeah, um, right. You know, he's, he's this kind of happy-go-lucky guy that's competent and leading and stuff like that. And I've noticed at times there there's often a resonance between who the American president is and some of the figures in pop culture. And I think that uh, at the time that there was, I don't know how conscious it was, but but I, I, I definitely got a George W. Bush vibe at, at least at that time from Jonathan Archer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Father Corey, you, you, did you see it as it aired? And premiered you know, I didn't, I didn't see it when it aired because at the time I was at seminary, 2001, I was at a seminary and we didn't have cable. We just had a, like the old school satellite dish where it actually would track the sky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? ones, yeah. And we didn't have antenna. So we old, didn't get the old school satellite tracking. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, instead of the, you know, the modern direct TV dish or what have you. But um, so I didn't get to see it. I actually, it was probably about time season two came out that I could actually start watching it on a okay. regular basis. Mm-hmm. And and it aired on uh, UPN. It was still UPN at the time, right? I think it was pretty yes. clearly yes. Yeah. So I had an unusual watching situation too because I my I had the dinkiest cable in the world at the time, and so I had a deal with some people. I was teaching uh, Greek to a New Testament Greek to a group of uh, homeschoolers, 
and they had better cable than me. So I, the deal was I would teach Greek to their kids and they would tape Enterprise for me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that was like me for Voyager when Voyager uh, premiered in the late uh, 90s. Uh, I was uh, in school or mid 90s. I was in school at Franciscan University, Steubenville. I didn't have cable at all. I had a dinky mm. black and white. And so my friend Bob Rice, uh, who some of you may know from, he now teaches in Steubenville, um, he uh, he had cable, so uh, we had a standing appointment every week to watch Voyager together. Nice, uh, being mm. big Trekkie. So yes, that. But by the way, I, I wanted to mention that Broken Bow, the premiere of Enterprise, has a special resonance for me because it Broken Bow is a real place. It's yes. in southeastern Oklahoma, and I grew up in Northwest Arkansas, so it's Broken Bow is less than two hundred miles from from where I grew up. So that right. was always special for me. My so my overall uh, watching this again, I haven't seen this in, in many years uh, watching. This, it was better than I remembered, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I I I really enjoyed this. And and, it, and I wonder if some of my recollection of Enterprise, which is, as I mentioned in the in the our overview, uh, that it wasn't that good and then got was starting to get better by the end. I think that more has more to do with the rest of this season than it did with the premiere episode, which I thought showed a lot of promise for this Mm -hmm. series. Um, Any first impressions? I would, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. You know, I I kind of feel the same way that um, it was a strong start. And again, as, as an opening episode, let's put it this way. This is a much better opening episode than Farpoint. Yes. Oh, much, yeah, much, 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 yeah. much, 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 much better. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's a better opening episode than Caretaker for Voyager. Yes. yes. In fact, this may be the strongest opening episode of any of the uh, series that predated Emissary. it. Well, I think Emissary is probably better than this. The uh, DS9 opening. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There were aspects we of that. have different views on yeah. that. Uh, it's fairly, both, very close. Very close. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're both strong, strong opening episodes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's more of a comparison, which is stronger of a strong episode, you know? <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that, that was interesting is, is uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of Trek fans forgot uh, when Star Trek Discovery was announced and we saw the first of the new Klingons from Discovery and how different they looked. That there was a mm-hmm. there was a similar controversy for Enterprise, which is Enterprise is a prequel, and when people yep. saw the Klingons on Enterprise, they were mad that they looked like next gen Klingons and not like original series Klingons without the head ridges. Uh, right. There was there was a bit of uh, controversy over that among certain groups of fans. I mean, not I me. I, I didn't yeah. care. I'm I don't. Willing. I don't. I don't think it was as bad. I think the new Klingon designs are almost universally disliked, from what I can tell. And this yeah. was more of a okay. It, it's they changed the makeup and they had to go one way or the other, and you know, and right. Even Deep Space Nine had already showed us Klingons from the from Kirk's era, right. with the head ridges, and and uh, uh, Worf kind of gave us a bit of a not an explanation, yeah. but a kind of a hey, it, something happened, Reference. and we're not we don't talk about it. We don't talk about yeah. it. <laughs> and they eventually paid that off in season four of Enterprise. But another aspect of the, there was a similar controversy because of being a prequel was people felt like the. NX-01 Enterprise looked too advanced. It looked more advanced than NCC-1701. And there there was... That was... You know, it was. It, it's the same complaint that came up with Discovery, and yes. you know, as I said when we talked about Discovery, that I don't have a problem with that. 
the you know once the 1701 enterprise looked what they thought was top of the line state of the art uh science in, fiction right. spaceship in 1964 in 1964 right and uh the NXO1 looked like what they thought in the you know year 2000 a state of the art top of the line science fiction <laughs> spaceship would look like and right. discovery looks like what they think a top of the line science fiction spaceship would look like from today so, Enterprise, though, I don't think I don't think the NXO one has that. I mean, you guys are more into Starship design than I am, but mm -hmm. I know one of the things the producers did was they took like a tour of a submarine down here in San Diego, yes. right, and said, "Okay, we need to make this. This is a more primitive time than Kirk's time, so we right. need to make it look more cramped." Not like the giant space hotel John Luke Picard is concierge on, um, <laughs> right. you know. So they they made an effort to make it look more cramped, more metallic, less pastel. Well, well, um, they they brought back design elements, and they actually it, it changed these over the course of the seasons. Where you know how Enterprise the the original series had these red, yellow, and blue rectangle lights on their displays. Yes. Yep. And you actually see those on the NX-01, and they get progressively more complex through the seasons as they're right. nudging the design towards Kirk's era. Um, but the other th other things, you know, like they have a grappling hook instead of a tractor beam. Yep. Yeah. Um, other things are cosmetic, and I, I don't like the fact they just – changed the name of photon torpedoes and even stupider um they 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 just changed force fields into hull plating so the standard order is polarize the hull plating right when it, it means the same thing as activate force fields in terms of its dramatic content it's the same yeah. thing um i thought that was just cosmetic and stupid but well, they are at least trying to make this more primitive I think that, but I think though that serves the uh, the the idea that they, in a previous time they didn't have uh, force fields. They had they had to go with an ablative hull uh, that absorbed <clears throat> the energy, and and yeah, that's right. fine. But you shouldn't have to turn it on. Uh, okay. you, well, I mean, but of course it serves theory. a dramatic purpose to say, you know, it it the dramatic purpose is we're going into battle, we're preparing for battle. I mean, you'd have to have something. I suppose you could say red alert. And do that whole thing, uh, battle stations or battle something, stations, yeah, right, yeah. Um, but I, I think I think fans got over that, and I think fans will get over get over the whole. Uh, the, I never did the past advanced tech. Well, <laughs> I mean, over the past advanced technology, um, ah. uh, they'll do that with Discovery, I think, as well. Um, so we start with uh, a young Jonathan Archer uh, with his dad uh, building a, a model of a warp five spaceship and. Uh, it sets up that uh, the narrative, the ongoing narrative that we're going to deal with, at least in the first season. But it sort of runs throughout, but mostly in the mm -hmm. first season, uh, the Vulcans are holding back humans from space, and that makes Archer unfriendly toward them. And that's yeah, that's that's really nice, actually. To I mean, we get this, we get these kind of idyllic images of 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 uh, Archer and his father. We know his father's a good guy. We know his father died and didn't leave, live to see the fruition of his work. And the Vulcans were one of the reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And that sets up on a dramatic level, nice tension between Arthur, uh, Archer and Vulcans. He's got a real reason to dislike them. Now, <clears throat> a lot of fans did not like that the Vulcans weren't our best buds right from the beginning. Right. 
but you have to start somewhere dramatically. If you if everything's perfect from the moment you start, you have your exactly. story goes nowhere. I I like the fact that we took the Vulcans, who were our best friends, quote unquote, in the original series and other in the other series, and made and, and created a little bit of tension in there so that we could grow in a relationship with them. They were always arrogant and superior, even even <laughs> once they yeah. were our best friends. Yes. Well, it, it's and it you think of it from the Vulcan, the way they they put it from the Vulcan standpoint of we need to help this race get to the point where they can go out and be productive members of the universe, if you will. Yes. You know, they're, you know, because they, they like it or not, you know, they were advanced beings, both, you know, culturally and technologically, technologically and everything in all these ways. And of course, then, you know, the, the issues of Vulcans and logic and all that, that that's, you know, they thought that their way was the right way to do it. That, you know, when humans can hit this point where they can be like us, then they're ready. Right. You know, and. But yeah. it, so it's it's they weren't being presented. It's kind of funny because they weren't being presented as the bad guys, just almost over the nannies over. Yeah. yeah nannies. There you go. Helicopter parents. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, so we get this uh, this Klingon ship crashes in uh, Broken Bow uh, and you have a Klingon being chased by the what we will later learn of the Sullivan. And, and one of the things I was thinking is, why is the Klingon running from a fight mm-hmm. uh why is you know and 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 then why does the storage shed explode like that that seems like a very I dangerous think it was supposed to be i think of, it was supposed to be a silo like a grain silo yeah well they said it was a methane explosion have, yeah you, yeah you do have gases build up you also have may have ammonium nitrate fertilizer stored in there right yep. yeah they said it was a methane explosion but Okay, wow, then it was a, gas buildup. Yeah, so yep. but it seemed like a very dangerous uh, place. Uh, but the 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 bigger thing was that you had a Klingon running from a fight, and that just seemed out of character a bit for Klingons. Yeah. Um, then you have uh, we 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 go from there, and we have uh, Archer uh, coming to the uh, the Enterprise. Uh, this is our our first time seeing the captain coming to the ship, mm. and they do once again what we've seen in. Voyager, tour. Star Trek, yes. motion picture. And I think we kind of even get it in Deep Space Nine, which is, yes, the tour, the the coming in, an, in a shuttle or shuttle pod, approaching the ship and flying around it to give the fans a nice view of it. Uh, I liked bumping into it this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was Scratching a, the paint. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, <laughs> we're told that the uh, uh, the ship can go warp 4.5 to Neptune and back in six minutes. Well, if the maximum speed of the ship is warp five, I'm not sure how they're going to get to the next planet, uh, the next star system uh, in their own lifetimes. <laughs> it's always bugs me well, when they do stuff like the that. The warp scale is... is um, it's is, logarithmic, um, I know, but... <laughs> well, exponential. Uh, you, well, yeah, it sort of depends on, on who, who's who's talking at what time or what, yeah, what true. kind of scale it is. Yeah. We we get introduced to the the various crew members. Uh, Mayweather is another Harry Kim, uh, a little less green, uh, mm-hmm. but just about as eager as Harry was. Uh, he has mm-hmm. the least experience in space. Um, he's a and I think boomer. he's he's the least successful of the initial characters long term. I, I think they never really got him. I mean, we met his family later on. Yeah, but he never really. He, I think kind of like Harry Kim, he never I think Harry Kim actually succeeded more. He yeah. he never really kind of fully clicked and deepened. Yes. No. Um uh, the the uh him and um uh the the 
the the security officer. I just Malcolm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm did. Yeah. Uh, well, when he, he when we learn about his Section Thirty One background. Oh, I mean, right. Wow. Right. Yeah. Okay. This right. guy gets way more interesting. That's right. That's yeah. right. I forgot about that. Yes, he did. Um, uh, I think I I really liked Jonathan Archer as Captain. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, Cisco is still my favorite Captain, but um, but Archer is uh, was good. I think he I think he was a good. I think uh, Scott Bakula as the choice was a. They went for a known actor. He had been yep. in. Um, uh, Quantum Leap Quantum before Leap. that, and it was well known. Uh, and I think they got a, I think they got a really good choice there, and I think he did a, a very good job with Archer. Um, and I think Jolene Blaylock plays a good Vulcan. Uh, yeah, she I, was good. She was good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the 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 tension among the crew was 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 well played, well played. Um, they mentioned uh, Zephram Cochran a few times, and we even get uh, an image to of, see him. Of um, what's the actor's name? Um, James uh, James Cromwell. James Cromwell, who played uh, played him in First Contact, and, and by reference or by context, uh, Star Trek First Contact had just come out, like in mm-hmm. like a year yep. or two before at the most. So it was still very new and in people's uh, under consciousness about this. So that's that's one of the reasons I think why they picked this time period and and based it mm-hmm. on Cochrane. Um, and it's Cochrane who, who is the first one to use the phrase, uh, go boldly where no man has gone before. And did it uh, properly. Yeah. And fixed it grammatically. <laughs> right. so, so first uh, contact was five years before. It came out, came out in 96. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and it was still there, recent enough. I mean, it was, yeah. people were still watching it. So, I mean, yeah. also the, uh, the split infinitive rule is a bit of, uh, normative linguistic nonsense english has been using split infinitives for centuries uh, yes uh okay <laughs> I, I will i will harness my inner pedant and <laughs> um we get a little bit of the temporal cold war uh introduction that's going to be the arc for this for at least a couple of seasons yeah uh, they finally kill it off at the beginning of season four uh it was something that the network demanded basically right, uh right. the writers did not want it and they had to tack it on and, and it, it felt yeah go ahead father cory oh i was just gonna say you know if you, we ranted about it pretty good amount on the uh yes. our overview of it. it it's i did like the effect in that room in the time room i always yeah. love that effect where it's kind of like it looks like it's you you see the motion before he actually makes the motion is what it right. looks like right mm-hmm. i like that idea you can you can kind of see a, a few seconds into the future uh and a fight in that sort of room it it becomes yeah. very interesting um we are uh let's see we have uh, this the dinner with T'Pol I found was very interesting um, between mm-hmm. this Archer and uh, and uh, Trip. Ch- Trip Tucker Trip. and uh, uh, T'Pol. She's a vegetarian. Uh, and you know what? She comes off the the, the, the character as, as kind of racist against humans. I mean, she's always mm-hmm. making these cracks, oh, yes. uh, but like very clearly, not even just kind of. She very clearly does not like human beings. And uh, we smell, we we are barbarians when it comes to eating food, and she's got mm-hmm. the superior attitude, and she very quickly becomes unlikable, <laughs> which is uh, which is uh, a lot of fun. Um, and and then we she comes back from the brink in subsequent uh, episodes, of course. She kind of uses like less violent Klingons, yeah. <laughs> right? Actually, I, I think she had more respect for Klingons than she did for. Well, right. she would. They're more violent. She's got to yeah. give them more respect. <laughs> so, 
So, um, and then we uh, we have Hoshi, the uh, the communications officer and translator, because we don't have a working universal translator in this time period. Uh, I really like Hoshi. Hoshi, yes. I think, is awesome. Yes, and she, not only do, do I love the fact that they are doing some attempting to do some actual real world linguistics on the show and showing us how we eventually get to the universal translator, right. but um, also Hoshi as uh, is not you know a uh an explorer right and she's got the phobias about we're on we're in this experimental tin can is that noise and vibration i'm hearing yeah. normal <laughs> exactly yeah. right right and she's she's got those normal fears of someone who's she's she didn't she didn't necessarily sign up for this dangerous uh stuff she got kind of uh, last stronger. minute draft yes. last minute semi drafted by the chance to make linguistic history right yeah. exactly I, I did like where she basically tells off uh, to Paul in Klingon or in a Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> I was yes. told to speak English on this trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, I thought it was interesting. Words that Hoshi couldn't translate from Klingon uh, because they were proper nouns includes the word Rigel. Um, mm -hmm. Rigel is an English or uh, Earth word for Rigel. <laughs> Well, and there there'd always been this issue in Star Trek about because we've heard about Rigelians and Rigel planet number X and things like that. And Vulcan all the way for that matter. Yeah, yeah, since the original series. Um, but Rigel is a star in the real universe, but it couldn't mm -hmm. it's like this super giant, you know, right. star that wouldn't possibly have the kind of planets that the series has has talked about it having. And this actually solves that. If Rigel is a proper name in a different language for a different star okay. than the one we know is Rigel. Interesting. Although the, um, in in universe, the, the Vulcan's star is ten Eridani, and recent headlines have said there are there is an exoplanet around ten Eridani in such a way, place uh, and of such a size they think that yeah. it would be like what Vulcan is in Star Trek hot <laughs> desert like planet so they uh, haven't they haven't yet been able to verify though that it has no moon uh, right exactly <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, transporters are not yet uh, reliable or safe, so they take a shuttle down to Rigel Ten, and that causes issues in the story. You know, trying to get back to the shuttle and fly away uh, later on. Uh, we, they they they're walking around this alien planet for the first time for for many of them. Um, we have dancers in skin tight cat suits, of course, because. You know, we have to have Gene Roddenberry. Yes, sexy time. Yeah, even though he was dead by this time. Yes. It's, yeah. Well, it, just it business or um, network suits. Yes, network, network suits, suits are going to want that. Well, because we also get the uh, the softcore porn de yeah. decontamination scene, yep. smearing gel on each other. Like, okay, that so why awful. do they have to be in the same room? Can't they smear the gel on each other in their like own separate stalls? Could could they not yeah. just take a shower in the gel? I mean, come on. All kinds of ways to get yourself decontaminated that don't involve rubbing on each other. <laughs> exactly. Just remember sex sells. Yeah. Well, apparently it did. Um, so I thought there was a very nice uh, moment in the when they were on Rigel 10, uh, when Trip reacts to a mother who he, to him, it looks like she's yeah. torturing her child. Um, right. And it turns mm -hmm. out he's weaning. She's weaning her son off of methyl oxide. Uh, which is part of yeah. their natural biological process. She's um, air weaning him instead of milk weaning him. Yes. Yep. 
uh, to Paul says humans can't refrain from drawing conclusions. You should learn to objectify other cultures so you know when to interfere and when not to. That's an interesting way of putting it. Uh, what, do, what do you think of her statement that we should learn to objectify when to objectify other countries? I, I, I think it's badly phrased. <laughs> you know, it's like let's objectify other people, treat them like objects. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, it's a well, kind of an unfortunate turn of phrase. She, she, it, it would be better to, and I, there's probably a term that anthropologists would use that mm-hmm. exists for this, but but they have a certain level of clinical detachment, right, uh, from other cultures. Well, and, and I, I kind of found it ironic because that's what the Vulcans did to humans is judge their, right. you know, judge their cultures, the, human, you, the cultures of humanity against their own and found it lacking against that's their true. own. So it's, it was kind of an ironic statement of, you know, you Vulcans did that to us. Uh, it would have been nice if Trip could have come back with that as a, you mean like exactly. the Vul- like Vulcans did with humans or didn't? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so Archer runs into uh, a Suliban who has rejected the uh, their 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 client status with in the temporal Cold War, um, and tells Archer about about it. She names the Cabal. Um, she says the price of evolution was too high because the Suliban were being evolved by whoever their uh, their masters in the Cold War were, um, and we learn that the Cabal is trying to ignite a civil war in the Klingon Empire. That's the their their aim. Um, so what we, we learn quickly is that the temporal cold war, if it's successful, will change Star Trek history from what we know as fans, that the, the mm-hmm. Kirk next gen D space nine, all that sort of history would be changed. And so we very you clearly, we'd be on a new Kelvin timeline. Apparently. Yes. Well, I was going to say, or a new ship called discovery. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> And speaking of the the going for a a submarine look to the uh to the the, the Enterprise 01 uh, we we have the scene when they're in the 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 uh, at the Suliban planet the where they're in the cloud layer and the Suliban are shooting charges into it very yep. much a classic depth charge submarine. scene yeah yeah submarine depth charge uh, scene except they establish that this planet has a phosphorus layer in its atmosphere and you're discharging energy weapons in the phosphorus layer <laughs> really yeah. what's to stop the entire phosphorus layer from going off exactly exactly they must I mean, be they special weren't, they weren't energy they were just pulse uh yeah. special mm. non uh explosive uh, explosives uh, <laughs> right use a different word instead of phosphorus folks just just do yeah. that like some some kind of inert gas. Um, <laughs> yeah, any of the Nobel gases will do. Well, another moment of discontinuity was when they're in that time chamber, and Silic, the, uh, the 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 Suliban leader, tells Archer, "Don't fire that weapon in here. It's dangerous to fire it in the temporal flux." And then he does it. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, is it dangerous or not? And he uh, got knocked on his backside for the privilege of doing it too. So <laughs> exactly. Um, we then we get the first use of the Enterprise's transporters on a human when Archer gets pulled out of there, and mm-hmm. it's very, in a very dangerous maneuver. Uh, I think told. they did that too soon in the series, and they yeah. they yeah. did it too. Ca- they then later did it too casually to other people. I think they needed to milk that for more. They should have waited longer before they did it to a human, and then they should mm-hmm. have followed up with big questions: Am I the same person, or was I torn apart back there? Right. Right. Um, exactly. 
Well, that's and that's the thing is because remember and, the reason and Archer Archer should have been having all kinds of tests run on himself. It's like that thing is safe for food transport, but Doctor Flox, I need you to like give me every kind of test in the world to see right. if I've been altered in some way. Right. And then we have to remember that the, the reason the transporter exists in the first place was because in the original series, it was too expensive to build a shuttle set and and would take yeah. too much time out of the episode to have them flying around. Well, that's not the case anymore in, in Enterprise. And so right. we could have been just as well having them flying to and from the surface on a on a shuttle. Uh, I mean, and in fact, uh, the Orville just has a shuttle and that they do yeah. that in every episode and it and, works fine. And I don't mind them gradually crossing the barrier with the transporter as we mm -hmm. get, you know, to get us closer to Kirk's time. I just think this was too soon and they didn't build it up or follow it up enough. Right. Right. You're right. It was a it was a, a dramatic uh, plot point for the series that they kind of just threw out the window too soon. Um, that, that could have added some nice sto uh, story drama. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then by the end of the episode, we have uh, Archer coming to terms a little bit with the Vulcans. Oh, you know who it should have been? The first person to transport, it should have been Hoshi. Uh, because, I mean, because yeah. then she's a junior officer and she's right. the least on board with the transporter thing. That would open up all kinds of dramatic possibilities like, Hoshi, if we don't do this to you now, you're going to die. Yes or no. And she right. finally consents and then has massive buyer's remorse afterwards. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just like, in many ways, like McCoy did for a long time about yeah. about the transporter. Yep. Um, so as I was going to say, uh, at the end of the episode, the resolution is that uh, Archer, his he, he he pretty much he recognizes he holds preconceived notions about the Vulcans based on uh, his father's uh, you know dying before he could complete his work and in blaming the Vulcans for holding uh, humans back and, and causing that, uh, and so he 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 um, changes opinion. Kind of a little bit based on T'Pol, and maybe T'Pol is changing her opinion a little bit based on her experience on Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of leave on this idea that T'Pol was supposed to be a temporary officer, and so maybe she's not so temporary. She'll stick around for a while. Yeah, it's standard Epic of Gilgamesh thing. You have Gilgamesh and Enkidu. They come together. They fight. They become friends. Right, right, exactly. Which is, now that I think about it, this is the one podcast where I could make that literary illusion and people would actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, Darmok and Jalad, that's an yeah. When the walls fell. You know, one character that I've always, I've always kind of enjoyed in Enterprise is Phlox. And I just, I love his, mm -hmm. you know, I love what you did to the place. And, you know, he comes yeah. in, he brings in all his animals and he brings in all these alternate, which, you know, that that really makes sense where, you know, kind of that holistic medicine approach, mm -hmm. but different. I like the alienness of, of the in. medicine. Yeah. 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 Right. You know, he, and, he, it's, yeah. And, and, you know, Captain Archer's expression, he's talking about, oh, yes, their droppings are rich in regenerative what? enzymes. And he's like. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you would imagine that the whole galaxy would be full of all of these things that that we, we might be wonderful medicines for human beings that we just don't know of, and and that would be out there to discover, and that someone like Flocks would perhaps know about it. And if he is an, uh, taking part in this this uh, medical exchange program, coming to a primitive place like Earth, which is barely mm -hmm. warp capable, and 
uh, he would be the sort of person who would be interested and outgoing. And I mean, he's like, he's a better Neelix <laughs> in that mm-hmm. sense, yes. you know, they've yeah, learned lessons, yeah. you know? So, uh, he, he doesn't have the annoyingness factor that Neelix has. No. Right. He's earnest and joyful without being over overbearing about it, I think is yep. the mm-hmm. idea. Uh, so uh, did I miss anything? Is there anything else we do, we want to say about uh, this, this episode, Broken Bow? I mean. Mm, other than it's set 10 years too early, but then, you know, yeah. <laughs> I've beaten that drum before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Father Corey, any uh, notes nope. that I uh, missed? Okay. And uh, we did have a scene in the Klingon High Council chamber at the end. I didn't mention that, uh, which was interesting to see that first encounter. with. I, I do like, actually, I did like that where they didn't, uh, Hoshi didn't actually say what he said, because I'm sure it wasn't thanks. I'm sure it was something like, if I ever see you again, I will skin you alive. You know? <laughs> right. Because there, there is are, a Klingon which war is, Which is up. Klingon for thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there are, um, you know, examples of diplomatic mistranslation in human history, where you've got the two leaders <clears throat> on both sides actually say things that the translators realize, if I translate that literally, this whole deal is going to fall apart and they will deliberately mistranslate. There's a famous example of that when um, Queen Elizabeth I was negotiating a treaty with the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. And in order to satisfy the Sultan, the Sultan had proposed language that the Queen of England was going to show him true obedience. And the British people, the British diplomats realized there's no way that (laughs) Queen Elizabeth is going to agree to truly obey the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. So they translated it as loyal, show loyal friendship. (laughs) 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 From a certain point of view, that's a All right, so I think that's uh, that's uh, all from us on uh, Broken Bow. I, we, we, there's not much for more for us to say, but we want to hear from you, the listeners. What do you think of uh, Broken Bow and and what we had to say about it or what your opinions uh, in addition to it? Uh, so go to, if you can, go to sqpn.com slash trek or to the SQPN Facebook page and leave us some feedback. Find the post related to the show and uh, leave some feedback there. Send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. You can find links relevant to our discussion on our show notes on sqpn.com. Please, if you can, share the show with your friends. Uh, Other Star Trek fans out there may be interested in hearing a a new podcast about Star Trek like ours. And... uh, we, you know, we would greatly appreciate if you could share it with others. Uh, that's how our audience grows, and that's how we continue doing what we're doing. And uh, please do go to sqpn.com slash give. We really need to hear from you li- right now because this show and others won't be able to continue without your support. So go to sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity, and uh, please do it today while you're thinking about it. Yes. And so we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Star Trek Discovery's first episode, The Vulcan Hello. Uh, Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Live long and prosper. That's a Vulcan goodbye. (laughs) And Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, we can't be afraid of the wind. This is Don Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. 
Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give.